We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Thursday, February the 13th, 2020. On today's show, I'll break down South Carolina's 75-59 win over the Georgia Bulldogs. I'll break down this game in its entirety as South Carolina goes into Stegman Coliseum, dominates wire to wire, just like football to hell with Georgia. I'll give my full thoughts on the game. Also, opening weekend is upon us. Baseball is back. I'll preview the opening weekend series against the Holy Cross Crusaders, including breaking downs, Holy Cross, pitching, hitting, South Carolina, what to watch for, key player for the weekend, give my prediction and much, much more. Also, your listener questions, and we have a fantastic interview with former Gamecocks outfielder and two-time national champion Adam Matthews, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy. Before we get into everything, this is a podcast read to you by our friends over at Newground Hard Nitro Lattes. Guys, let me tell you about Newground really quickly. This, as you guys all know, this partnership's been a game changer, but when I partner with people, I look specifically at, you know, the brand, the vision, what they're thinking, how they integrate what I'm doing. Newground fits all of those. And on top of that, they have an amazing product. This drink they have, absolutely amazing, especially if you're a big coffee drinker like me. They have two flavors, cafe latte and chai latte, which only have 5% alcohol, which is just enough to, if you want to turn up, you want to party, have a good time, you can do so. But if you want to just enjoy one casually, you're at the tailgate, you're with friends, you're chilling at home, whatever it might be, it's literally perfect for any occasion. Like I said, guys, these things taste absolutely amazing, and there's a reason for that. They're actually made from real coffee and tea, natural flavors, real sugar. They're GMO-free as well. And like I said, it's like a coffee drink, basically. It tastes like coffee. It has naturally occurring caffeine in the cafe latte flavor. Or if you're more of a caffeine-free person, they have a chai latte option as well. You can find the drinks all over the Southeast, South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia, Florida, all over the Southeast, like I said, any stores like Teeter, Publix, Total Wine, Trader Joe's, Food Line. If you can't find it, guys, just ask because they are taking over. They are everywhere. I promise you they've got it. If you want to learn more about them, be sure to check them out at drinknewground.com and be sure to follow them on social media, Instagram and Facebook at drinknewground for new happenings and now announcements, etc. Again, that's Newground Hard Nitro Lattes imported from Holland. Check out their website, drinknewground.com. And follow them on social media, Instagram and Facebook, at Drink Newground. All right, let's get into it. Just like football. Just like football. 
just like football. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to the Spurs Up Show. I'm Chris Phillips. Your host, as always, you can tell I'm in a very, very good mood as I just finished watching South Carolina throttle, throttle the Georgia Bulldogs in Athens for the seventh straight win against Georgia in this series. And I believe the fourth straight win at Stegman, the fourth straight win in Athens, Oh, man, it feels good to be a Gamecock. What a game. South Carolina, again, goes into Athens 75-59. to Huge win. Um, before we do get into everything, I'm going to remind you guys again once more, um, before I start talking baseball, the Spurs Up show opening day tailgate. If you guys are going to be at the game Friday, if you're around Columbia, if you're going to be around throwing a tailgate at Image Inc., threw up a social media graphic yesterday with details. Um, Come out, noon to first pitch. Going to have a live pregame show, two to three as well. A lot of former Gamecocks out there. Food, drink, swag, giveaways, everything. Be sure to come out. That's imaging the Spurs Up show opening day tailgate, powered by Newground Hard Nitro Lattes, by the way. Uh, Friday opening day tomorrow. Going to be an awesome time. So I just want to remind you guys once again, if you're around, please do come out. Let's talk some shot. Let's have a good time and celebrate the return of baseball. Okay, let's jump back into this game. South Carolina beats Georgia 75-59, guys. Like I said, just like football, to hell with Georgia. Man, what a W. You know, it's so it's so funny. I talk leading in this game all game talking about, you know, Georgia's so good on offense. Anthony Edwards score, you know, they score 76 points per game as a team, blah, 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 blah. South Carolina and Frank Martin couldn't give a damn about any of that. The Gamecocks hold Georgia to 59 points. Guys, there was a point, I said this in the post-game reaction video. There was a point in that game, I genuinely wasn't sure Georgia was going to score again. What was it, like 25-5 to at one point? Suffocating defense. You know, it's crazy. And this has been a common theme this year, too. When the refs swallow their whistles and just let us play good physical basketball, God, we look so good. I mean, we look so good. You know, I I said this during the game. And I said this to myself mentally. I'm just like, you know, God, I just – I will not let myself get carried away. I will not let myself get overly excited. You know, Georgia was a 2-8 and eight conference team coming in this game. You know, they're 12-11, and 11, now 12-12 and 12 overall. I'm not going to let myself get overly hyped. But, man, you find yourself with seven SEC games left. They all are winnable. The toughest games, LSU, you get them on your home floor in a Saturday night game. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to look too far ahead. One game at a time. You got to beat Tennessee at home first Saturday. But man, if that team, if that team that we just saw, if that team shows up, man, I feel really good about the odds. You know, I, I talked about going in this game. One of the big things I talked about: Jermaine Kuznard, Mike Coatsarn, who who is going to be the third guy? You know, because we saw AJ Loss against Texas A&M had a really nice game, but. Let's face it, he's been very, very inconsistent this year. I mean, you can never really, truly count on him. So you had to think to yourself, who's it going to be? Is this a, you know, is is Lawson going to finally find some consistency? Is it Brian? Is it it, uh, Jair Bolden? Is it Trey Hannibal? Is it Levesque? Is it, you know, uh, McCreary? Who is it? Who's going to be that guy? Folks, A.J. Lawson might be back. I think A.J. Lawson might be back. 20 points led the team. 7 of 10 from the field. Four for five from the free throw line. Two of four from the three-point from three point range. Also added in three steals, two assists, four rebounds. Last night looked like the A.J. Lawson of old. That looked like vintage A.J. Lawson. Freshman A.J. Lawson. What a welcome sight to see. He was feeling it. He was feeling it all night long. 
Coos and Mike did their thing. I, I, I said this during the game, too, and I want to say it again, though. You know, and I, I could have said it definitely before this game, but I'll be totally honest. And, I mean, nobody can really hold this against me because I feel like most of the fan base felt this way. But I, I was very skeptical of Mike Kotsar coming this season. Not going to lie to you. I was very skeptical. I, I, I thought he was a very average player. Um, you know, wasn't going to have a what – like, the, the biggest question, what, going into the season, how do you replace Chris Silva, right? Oh, God, how are we going to replace Chris Silva? And I was like, there's no way that Mike's going to do it. You know, I mean, you even brought in uh, Micaiah Henry from Tennessee Tech to, like, you got a grad transfer on the market to be that dude. Mike Kotsar has been out of this world this year. And his impact is felt so far beyond the statue. Like, he, he's a true senior leader on the floor. And I'm not sure he's that vocal guy necessarily. But, God, he leads by example. I mean, he plays the game the right way, plays with effort, toughness. I'm not going to say discipline, Will Muschamp. But, no, I mean, he just plays the game the right way. I mean, Kotsar, 29 minutes, which led the Gamecocks. He had 11 points. Five rebounds, three assists, not gaudy numbers necessarily, but getting the job done, physical. Had a steal, had two blocks. Played really tough defense for South Carolina. I mean, this entire team did, but Mike leading the way. How about Keyshawn Bryant? 12 points for Keyshawn. How about Keyshawn Bryant? Man, what if he gets rolling? Four of four from the free throw line. Holy hell. That's, I mean, holy shit, that's more surprising than anything. Keyshawn Bryant gets going. I mean, like I said, Coos did his thing, 14 points. He's turned himself into a damn good basket. Kuznard has turned himself. I don't want to speak prematurely, obviously, because, again, we've seen kind of what the sophomore slump, quote-unquote, that A.J. Lawson's gone through. But, man, Jermaine Kuznard has turned into a guy that you look at next season, you're like, this could be an all-SEC player. Like, this dude is legit. Jermaine Kuznard is a legitimate player. I thought Jalen McCreary played well. Eight points on the night. I thought he had some nice moments. But overall, I mean, the offensive output was great, 75 points. Offensive output was great. But, man, the defense. You hold Georgia to 34% shooting, 12% from three. They went three of 24 from long range. Crazy. Crazy. Anthony Edwards for Georgia never could get going. I mean, he had 16. But I said going into this game, you know, listen, Anthony Edwards is going to get his. You just got to limit him. I mean, he was 8 for 8 for eight from the free throw line. I mean, most of his points came in garbage time. Dude was 0 for 7 from three-point range. South Carolina defense, I mean, A.J. Lawson absolutely locked down on him. Locked down on him. So, you know, we talked about coming in this one. It, it was a game you had to win. It, it was a must win, no doubt. You know, I, I felt like South Carolina was the better team, and I'm not surprised they got the win. That's not why I'm happy necessarily. It's the way they did it. I mean, wire to wire. Domination. Bro, this game was never in doubt. I wanted I, – I tweeted just like football. I was like, can I tweet this with 10 minutes left? I didn't want to be a jinx, so I didn't, but I'm like, this game's over. <laughs> this game's over. You know, unless we start playing with three guys, I mean, this game is flat out over. Kudos to Frank Martin, the staff, the job they've done. It, it's, you know, it, this isn't saying this in a negative way. It's more so saying it kind of in a funny way. God, I just look back and I'm like, how did this team lose to Stetson? 
I can't figure it out. How did this team lose to Stetson? Oh, God. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, you start to take a look at the schedule, though. And you don't want to get ahead of yourself. But Tennessee at home, at Mississippi State, LSU at home, Georgia at home, who you just throttled, at Alabama, Mississippi State at home, at Vandy. Tell me one of those games South Carolina like, just cannot win. Tell me one of those games that's a, a game you just can't win. And like I said, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Georgia was not a great basketball team outside of Anthony Edwards and maybe one more score. They were, you know, I said that going in. I didn't think they were a great team. I thought South Carolina could expose them, and they did. But this team is feeling it. I mean, there's no question. This team is feeling it. And like I said, you, your, your, your toughest games you have left, your big ones, you get them at home. I mean, you got Tennessee at home Saturday night. You get LSU at home in a primetime Saturday night game. You got to feel good. I mean, you got to feel really good if you're a South Carolina fan right now. You have to. You have to. So, it, like I said, it's not even that South Carolina won the game. It is the way that they did it, which makes me so giddy. By the way, I, I want to give him a little bit of hell. Let me make sure I can find him really quickly. Here we go. I want to give him a little bit of hell. I'm sorry if this hurts your feelings, but it's just too funny not to. Evan underscore slain one, two, three on Instagram. Shame on you, sir. He DMs me during the game. You got to talk about free throws in the post-game review if they keep it up. At this point, South Carolina, I think we're shooting like 79% from the free throw line. Well, sir, they finished up shooting 58%. So whatever jinx you put on us, thanks a lot. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, uh, man, it, it's fun to not even have to talk about three throws. <laughs> it's like we, just, we can just skip over it. You know, when you beat somebody by freaking, uh, what, uh, 16 points? And really, probably could, it could have been more than that, no question. It could have been. I mean, it was the, – the score floated around 20 the entire game. I mean, Georgia got it within under 20, and it felt like the announcers trying to make it seem like, you know, they're within like five points. It's like, dude, this is like – this is not even a close game. I mean, so, heck of a win by the boys, man. I mean, just, just a hell of a win. I mean, South Carolina dominated in all phases. Rebounds offensively and defensively, I mean – <laughs> Look at this time with the lead. South Carolina, 38 minutes, 56 seconds, Georgia zero. <laughs> like, I mean, never in question. Never in question. And like I said, the way they won the game, the way they won the game, the way this team's developing, you know, Frank Martin in the post game talking about, you know, this is a team where it's your freshmen aren't playing like freshmen anymore. And a team that, really is truly taking this thing game by game, approaching it that way with a humble mentality, working their tails off, playing with a lot of intensity. And it's obviously proving off. I mean, I'm not, I'm not really surprised what has happened in SEC play. Because, you know, again, Frank Martin's a good coach. He knows how to motivate kids. You know, he gets the he, – he, he's – not everybody can play for him now. Don't get me wrong. Not everybody can play for him. But he gets his right guys in there. They'll play their asses off for him. You're seeing that. So, man, just a, just a fun night if you're a South Carolina fan. I mean, like I said, I, I'm giddy about it. I mean, beating Georgia in anything is a blast. I don't care if it's basketball, baseball, football, lacrosse, darts, cornhole, beer pong. I don't give a damn what we're playing. You beat Georgia, that's a fun night. 
and to throw up the just like football stuff and the you know the joke I put up that Georgia football and Georgia basketball what do those two have in common neither one can make field goals against South Carolina I mean just oh it's a blast it's fun I mean you have to think at this point if we beat Georgia in baseball in the series this year two out of three we pretty much own Georgia I mean we, we just kind of own them now so but a fun night. I, I, you know, now you've got back-to-back SEC wins. I mean, you, you beat Tennessee on Saturday night. You directly put yourself right back on the bubble, no questions asked. No questions asked, you're right back on the bubble. So, I'm ex- like I said, I'm extremely excited for what's ahead, the potential of this team. Again, I, I'm, I'm not letting myself get ahead. I'm still in game-by-game mode. Anything can happen. And like I said, the scariest thing is we've seen this team at the highest of highs, and we've seen them at the lowest of lows. And, again, that's most teams. I don't want to get them ahead of myself, though. I don't want to jinx anything. But, man, I mean, out of all the teams in the middle of the pack in the SEC, and now you sit at fourth in the conference. All right, I believe you're like fourth or tied for fourth. I know Florida's playing right now. They're, they're beating Texas A&M at halftime. I've got the game on in front of me. Um, they're six and four in conference too. So depending on that, I mean, you're right there in the mix for, you know, if you keep winning the first round by and then in, in the SEC tournament in Nashville, which obviously, I mean, I don't have to explain to you why that's a big deal. So, you know, you beat Tennessee on Saturday and you really put yourself back in conversation. Because again, I can sit here and tell you, hey, oh, that's a must-win. Like, it just – no, they're all must-wins at this point. You get in this point in the season, you're in the position South Carolina's in, they're all must-wins. But great night to be a Gamecock. You beat Georgia's ass and anything. It's a fun night. So, kudos to Frank Martin, that South Carolina team, suffocating defense. That is Frank Martin basketball. You just absolutely love to see it. All right, let's move into baseball. South Carolina opening weekend. Gamecocks taking on the Holy Cross Crusaders. Before we get into that – I want to tell you my friends over at Ag South Farm Credit because the Spurs Up show is brought to you by Ag South Farm Credit. Guys, most lenders don't understand land financing. Ag South Farm Credit specializes in land financing and has been doing it for over 100 years. They make loans for small and large acreage, hunting property, timberland, farm and pasture land, even home mortgages and construction. They have a lot of great benefits, including long-term fixed rate financing up to 20 years, down payments as low as 15%. They have competitive rates and they pay an average of 25% of the interest back every year as what they call patronage. They're cooperative, so they share in their profits with their member borrowers. So guys, for example, on a $300,000 loan at 6.5% for 20 years, you would get back $2,770 each year. They have an experienced lending staff that knows land and knows how to finance it. Guys, whenever you're making a big time life decision, I I don't know. If you're buying a home in 2020, 2021, 2022, whenever in the future, your first home, your dream home, you're buying a plot of land, you want to build your own home. There's a lot of pressure. It's a a stressful time, a strenuous time. You're spending a lot of money. You're spending a ton of money. You got to get a real estate agent. There's so many things you got to worry about. When you need a lender, Ag South Farm Credit, they're that lender for you. They're going to hold your hand every single step of the way. They're going to take care of everything for you. They're going to answer every single question that you have and make the process super simple and super easy. One of the questions they get asked most often, people want to buy some land, right? They want to get a land loan. What are my options on land loans? I'll tell you, I'm someone, I'm not familiar with land loans. I wouldn't know, I wouldn't know what to tell you what to do. Good thing though, Ag South Farm Credit does know what to tell you. So, 
Axoth Farm Credit offers everything commercial banks offer like balloon loans, but they also offer longer term fixed rate loans. So instead of a balloon loan where your interest rate expires and you risk your rate increasing, a fixed rate can never go up, but it can be lowered if the market allows. So the type of loan you get depends on how fast you want to pay it off and what you think your future cash flow is going to be like. So guys, if you have any questions for them or if you simply want more information on the type of land loans they offer, give them a call 844-AG-SOUTH or visit their website agsouthfc.com slash T-S-U-S. That's A-G-S-O-U-T-H-F-C dot com slash T-S-U-S. Ag South and Eco Housing Lender NMLS 619-788. So again, their website agsouthfc.com slash T-S-U-S or give them a call 844-AG-SOUTH and tell them that Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. All right, like I said, Opening weekend, baby. Baseball's back. Baseball's back. As you all know, if, if anybody, if you know me at all, you know that I'm pumped. You know that I'm pumped. Baseball's back. Founders Park, Friday, three games this weekend. Friday at 4 o'clock, Saturday at 2 o'clock, and Sunday at noon. That game got changed from 1.30 to noon. Remember that. So, 4-2 and noon. Three games taken on the Holy Cross Crusaders from the Patriot League. You take a look at the Crusaders – one thing that's very interesting, man, they have an interim head coach. I was looking at their staff. They have an interim head coach, Ed Kohovic, uh, coming obviously in his first year. He's their interim head coach. 2019, the Crusaders went 22 and 32, 15 and 10 in the conference, uh, projected to finish fourth in the Patriot League by d1baseball.com. When you take a look at their pitching, 2019, definitely a rough year for their pitching staff, 5.33 team ERA. However, they do return right handed pitcher Liam. Dvorak, which if you look at his name, you'll know why I pause. It's D-V-O-R-A-K. It's, you literally pronounce it how it's spelled, Dvorak. So Liam Dvorak selected Patriot League preseason pitcher of the year. This dude is legit. 75 and a third innings pitched last year, 83 strikeouts. He went 6-5 and five with a 3.58 ERA, literally, truly the leader um, of this Crusaders pitching staff. You take a look at their starting rotation. He's not their Friday night guy, or at least not projected to be their Friday night guy, which is a little strange. They have him in the Sunday role. I don't know if they want to save him for the last game for some reasons that I don't really understand, but they don't have him in the Friday night role. So anyways, their starting rotation, right-handed pitcher Garrett Coe, 0-2, 3.86 ERA in 2019. Saturday, left-handed pitcher Luke Dawson, 1-1, 6.38 ERA in 2019. And Sunday, Right-handed pitcher Liam Dvorak, 6.65 with a 3.58 ERA in 2019. Um, you take a look at their hitters. 2019 was rough for those guys as well. Really, as a team, it was rough for the, for the Crusaders. 248 team batting average. Uh, they actually lost their leading home run hitter and their guy that was uh, number two in overall average. However, they do recur return catcher Riley Livingston, uh, who is a senior and outfielder, Austin Mazell. Both guys are preseason all-Patriot League guys. So, two studs for the Crusaders for sure. Going into top returners, I mean, you got to start off with Mazel. He's a senior, 312 average, led the team a year ago, two homers, 31 RBIs, also led their team in stolen bases. Mazel, a guy, can really do it all. Again, he was 12 of 14 with stolen bases, truly a baller. He is the leader of that Crusaders lineup. You take a look at somebody else, uh, outfielder David Kale Jr., 271 average, two homers, 17 RBIs, and then infielder Chris Rinaldi, which I had to look up. I was like, is this guy related to Tom Rinaldi? He is not, by the way. Uh, senior infielder, 241 average, a homer, 27 RBIs, but 10 stolen bases, second on their team. He can be a nuisance on the base pass and just another one of those speed guys. Um, 
South Carolina, I already talked about the rotation yesterday. They're going to roll out their right-handed pitcher, Carmen Majinski, on Friday. Saturday is going to be right-handed pitcher, Brett Carey, and Sunday, right-handed pitcher, Brandon Jordan. When you look at USC, what to watch for for this opening day or opening series, opening weekend series, if you will. I got a few things here for South Carolina fans, what you're going to want to watch for this weekend. The first thing's first. The opening day jitters. Listen, it's opening day. If you think fans are excited and you're listening to this, you're excited for opening day, those players are pumped. I mean, you've been working all fall, all spring, all the scrimmages, all the workouts, the summer ball, and it's finally here. You take the field at Founders Park in front of a sold-out crowd of 8,000-plus people. There's a lot of guys. There's a lot of guys on this South Carolina roster who have never suited up in garnet and black before in an actual game. So what are the jitters like on opening day? I mean, again, I've had plenty of guys on my show that we, we talked to, guys that were South kind of greats who can tell you about, you know, just what it feels like on opening day and your legs feeling weak. And, I mean, you're just – you're kind of all over the place. Can South kind of control their emotions? Which team controls their emotions better, obviously? I think it's a really interesting storyline as well. The Gamecocks have lost two straight opening day games. Granted, they've come back to win the series, right? So no big deal. But – it certainly does put a damper on, you know, the the opening weekend series, if you will. You know, even when you come back and win the series to lose that opening day game. Because, again, as fans and, I mean, certainly as players, as coaches, as everybody, you, you've been looking forward to opening day for so long. It's finally here. Beautiful day at the ballpark. A team that you should beat, no doubt, you're better than, and you lose. So, I think it'll be interesting to see what the jitters are like for South Carolina because, again, there's a lot of new guys, a lot of freshmen, a lot of JUCO guys, and a lot that will be making contributions as well. Uh, so how do those guys handle their emotions? That'll be very interesting. Another thing to watch for, I absolutely can't wait for this. I've been talking about it all offseason. Carmen Majinski getting back on the bump at Founders Park and getting back on the bump in general in a Gamecocks uniform. A guy whose season was cut short a year ago, obviously, with the injury, with the foot injury in the Clemson series. I absolutely cannot wait to watch this guy pitch. I, I mean, I'm, I'm literally salivating at the mouth saying it right now. I, I am so excited. for fa- I'm, a, I'm so excited for fans as well to see Carmen Majinski. And I'm excited because, I've listen, I've watched this guy in the fall scrimmages. I watched him in the spring scrimmages. As good as he looked in those, I expect him to look ten times better against Holy Cross. I mean, we're talking about a dude that you're going to see him sitting 95, 96 miles an hour with a fastball. The breaking ball is next level plus. The changeup is plus. The cutter, God forbid, the cutter's nasty. The cutter's filthy. So, fans, if, if you can get to the ballpark Friday, if there are tickets still available, which I'm sure that I know there are tickets available if you go through the uh, secondhand outlets or the third-party outlets, if you will. If you can get to the ballpark Friday, come watch Karmajinski. I encourage you. If you can't, watch on TV, obviously watch on the stream. But pay close attention to Karmajinski because – I'm expecting this dude to have a monster year, and it is going to be so good to see South Carolina's bell cow back on the bump for the Gamecocks. I can just cannot wait to watch him pitch. Um, next big thing I'm looking for, just new faces throughout the entire lineup. You know, I put out my projected lineup on social media a couple nights ago. I'm expecting a lot of new faces. You know, I think there will be a new leadoff man in Noah Myers. I think Brandon Jordan's your three-hole hitter. He's a new guy, obviously a true freshman. I think your cleanup hitter is Dallas Beaver, who's a who's a uh, a grad transfer. Brian Bowen in the lineup, grad transfer. Um, you know, I think we'll see a lot of other guys playing. Jeff Heinrich, Blake, Braylon Wimmer, Colin Burgess. Um, you know, a lot of other guys. Jax Cash. I mean, there's going to be a lot of other guys going in now that lineup. How does everyone do? 
Um, I think it'll be very interesting because, again, I think fans will be very anxious. I know it's Holy Cross. It's non-conference, whatever. But last year was so brutal, so brutal hitting. The Gamecocks need to get off to a good start. And, I, I, again, it kind of goes back to the opening day jitters thing and how do guys handle their emotions. But I'll just be very interested to see how those new faces look, how they perform. I and mean, we saw a guy like Brady Allen, you know, a year ago, hit a home run in his first at bat. You know, do we see anything like that? Uh, do we see like anything like that tomorrow and throughout the opening weekend? I think that'll be interesting to see. Speaking of the lineup, and speaking of a guy who needs to get off to a good start, one thing I'm going to be looking for, and I hate to single him out, but listen, this is a story. It is a story and something we have to talk about. How does Noah Campbell start his season? Bottom line. Because he, let, me got, let, me, let me tell you guys, and I think I said this the other day on the show when I projected the starting line. I said this on Monday. I have Noah Campbell in my starting lineup right now. I've got him starting at second base. I, I know Mark Kingston said he could play in the outfield, but I, I'd be very surprised if, if he's not a second base. But I've talked a lot about Jeff Heinrich. If you've read the scrimmage reports and stuff, Jeff Heinrich's a baller. I mean, th this dude needs to be on the field. I'm not going to lie to you. He needs to be on the field, 100%. But I think Noah Campbell's going to get the benefit of the doubt. And he's going to get the opportunity to take the job. You know, he's, he's a veteran guy. He's obviously crushed the Cape Cod League, a lot of preseason accolades. How does Noah Campbell start his season? He is the guy to me. There's nobody on this South Carolina roster who needs to get off to a better start than Noah Campbell does. Because, again, I hate to call the kid a head case. I really do. But – and this is any player. I mean, when you get off to a slow start, it is – SEC plays not the time to come back and get your average up. This, this is the time, non-conference. You know, with all due respect to the Holy Crosses and the Northwesterns and the Presbyterians and the Winthrops and the, you know, Furmans and everybody you play in non-conference. Outside of Clemson, really. I mean, this is the time where you're like, all right, I'm, I'm about to go ham. I'm about to get my average up. I'm about to hit 350, 375. Let me set myself up for when I go into SEC play, go in the real grind. You know what I mean? Like, that's really what it is. But, again, I think Noah Campbell's just simply a guy he needs to start off well because there are guys behind him ready to take his position. Again, it's going to be hard to keep Jeff Heinrich off the field. I think even Noah Campbell plays well, they're going to get him in there somewhere. You can hit, you can play, and Jeff Heinrich's a baller. He's a dirtbag. I love Jeff Heinrich's game. I love Braylon Wimmer's game. I think Braylon Wimmer can play as well. So how does Noah Campbell start his season? That's going to be a big thing I'm watching for all weekend. And finally, the final thing I'm watching for is simply just with opening weekend, Again, these will continue to evolve throughout the season. So, I mean, th this weekend won't determine everything. But just how do the roles on this team begin to take shape, really? I, I mean, again, you go into opening weekend, you kind of have guys set here, you know, uh, of, the, of the positions, I guess, that were up in the air, the, the roles that were up in the air, especially within the pitching staff. I'm almost more so talking about the pitching staff. You know, Brandon Jordan in the Sunday role, Graham Lawson in the setup role, Danny Lloyd in the closer role. You know, you're going to find out who your guys are. And, again, I, I expect it to change throughout non-conference and, you know, when you get into conference because you're going to find things out about guys. You know, when you get in that first SEC series and you got, you know, 10,000, however many screaming at you at Alex Box Stadium, LSU, you're going to find out who's ready to go and who ain't. No question. But I think you're going to find out early on, too, like who, who's going to embrace the moment, who's going to be the guy, you know, how do these guys look in different situations? You're going to find that out. So I'm just really intrigued because, again, you can watch as many scrimmages as you want, 
But these games are finally going to give us some context. It's like, oh, hey, this guy can do that. This guy looks comfortable doing that. Maybe we need to put this guy there. So I'm very interested to see how that plays out as well. Uh, my key player for this weekend, my key player for this weekend is Carmen Majinski. No question. I said he's the key player for the season. He's my key player for the weekend. Listen, he's your bell cow. He's your ace. He's your guy that's going to set the tone. And, again, I mentioned South Carolina has lost two straight opening days. And while you didn't lose the series, again, it just puts such a damper on the excitement we all have for the season, right? I mean, let's just be completely honest. It puts a damper on the excitement that you have for the season. I think Carmen Majinski needs to come out, do his job, set the tone. It's opening weekend. I, you know, unless he's really efficient with his pitch count, I don't expect him to go more than six innings. You know, again, the first weekend, they're probably not going to let him throw over 80 pitches or so. I mean, maybe they will. I don't think so, though. I doubt it. Probably 80, 80 pitches, 85 pitches. But we need to see Carmen Majinski be that guy. You know, we've, we've, I've been talking all offseason. We've heard all offseason. I've been watching him all these scrimmages. He needs to be that dude. He just needs to be that dude, that tone setter for South Carolina. And it starts tomorrow against the Holy Cross Crusaders. Get this series right off, off, off on the right foot, if you will. Um, my overall prediction for the series, you know, I think Carmen Majinski does get South Carolina put off or set off on the right foot. I cannot say that for whatever reason. I think Karmajinski gets South Carolina started this weekend, though. I think South Carolina does break that ugly streak of two straight opening day losses. I think the Gamecocks get the sweep. I be, I just – Holy Cross, number one, is not a very good team. They're not. I mean, they're not. They're overmatched. South Carolina is a much better team. Really, the only game that I think will be up for grabs is that Sunday game or really whenever Liam Dvorak pitches. You know, I mean, you can get beat any day if you got the right arm out there. Liam Dvorak might be that right arm, but – I still kind of doubt it. I mean, at 3.58 in the Patriot League. But he was their go-to guy. Like, when they played Baylor, when they play in these big non-conference games, he was their dude. But I think South Carolina, I, I feel really good about this team. I think this team has got something to prove. It's got a chip on its shoulder. I think it'll come out angry. I think it'll come out focused, ready to go. I got South Carolina getting the sweep. I, I just, again, I think they're the better team. I expect Carmen Majinski to absolutely shove tomorrow. I expect him to shove opening day wouldn't surprise me if the Gamecocks got one of their traditional big six nothing seven nothing seven one wins um and I think the bats continue to flex their muscles throughout the weekend so I think the Gamecocks get an opening weekend sweep everybody's feeling good as we go in that first week of midweek games um so yeah really excited for it again the three games Friday at four Saturday at two Sunday at noon should be a very very fun weekend at Founders Park. I absolutely cannot wait for it. Um, so you guys, of course, stay tuned to the SpursUpShow.com, the Spurs Up Show social media. I will be at all three of the games. Um, so be sure to stay tuned for my thoughts, my reactions on those. All right, let's get into these listener questions really quickly. Just have a couple. You guys have been slacking on listener questions, by the way. I'm a little disappointed. I know it's not football season, but come on. I want to hear you guys' thoughts. What do you have to say? Whatever. Um, okay, CP3 underscore presents. Who do you think will be the Gamecocks ace this season? Carmen Majinski, next question. Uh, Mason underscore Crow 48. Is there something wrong with John Gilreath? He hasn't been mentioned lately. I've been still trying to find that out. I'm not 110% sure. Uh, waiting on Mark Kingston to update his status. Uh, Judd Rupp, final question. Who might be our top closer and possible setup man? Guys, I cannot wait for you guys to see Mr. Daniel Lloyd in the closer role. 
cannot wait. I, I just cannot wait. You guys are going to be blown away when you see the jump this kid has made. I'm talking 95, 96, 97, wipeout slider. Stuff is filthy. The stuff is filthy. He's your closer, no doubt. I mean, again, he can lose that role now, no doubt. That's not they're going to start him. He could lose that role if he, if he doesn't embrace it, if he's not comfortable with it, whatever. But stuff-wise, no, I think he's going to be just fine. And then your setup man, Graham Lawson. And those two can be interchanged. I mean, if they really need to, they can change out those two guys. Hell, if Danny needs a day off, hell, Graham could close it out. You know, I mean, it, it's very, you know, it's very doable. But I got Graham Lawson as your eighth inning guy. I mean, Graham has been phenomenal in the scrimmages as well. Back to his old self, 95 miles an hour with the fastball. You know, needs to locate the off-speed stuff better. That's something Mark Kingston has said repeatedly. But, I mean, the, the, the stuff is there. The stuff's nasty. I mean, the stuff is nasty. It is vintage Graham Lawson. So, I think that's your that's your – your back end right now, Graham Lawson, your setup, Danny Lloyd is your closer. And again, I, I'm just I'm just so fired up for you guys to see those two pitch because it's a spectacle. It's a lot of fun. Um, all right, let's get into our interview. Former Gamecocks outfielder, Adam Matthews. Adam, phenomenal dude, two-time national champion. What a career he had. We had a we had a great conversation. Great conversation. He came by the studio. It was a blast. Shout out to Adam. He's an awesome dude. Um white and old product we even got to talk about our battles in high school when i played for north augusta that was a lot of fun so stay tuned for that great interview two-time national champion it's all brought to you by our friends over at seeky guys if you need tickets to opening weekend god if you need tickets first off they're not that expensive but if you're trying to take the family out there you need three four five six seven eight i don't care how many tickets you need seat geek is the way to go. Whether it be a South Carolina Gamecock sporting event, hey, if you're trying to go to the Tennessee game on Saturday night, I'm expecting a rowdy crowd. You better be there because I know I will be. It'll be a rowdy crowd. So any South Carolina sporting events, comedy club, concerts, professional sporting events, anything else you can buy tickets to, whatever it may be, go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP. You're going to save $20 off your first purchase. Like I said, guys, they got tickets to literally anything and everything. I mean, really does not matter. They've got a great ticket rating system as well. They'll rate the tickets for you based on the type of deal you're getting. So never again are you going to scalp. You're not going to have to worry about, oh, where am I sitting? Am I, you know, is, did the person next to me pay less? Like, you know, is this the best value possible? They do all that work for you. I mean, they, they truly do make it so simple. I mean, if you want to, you know, if, and, and here's the thing. You can rate the tickets by, you know, you can view them by, hey, the cheapest ticket. I want to see the, 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 you know, them rated on the value score. Like, I want to make sure I'm sitting in the best possible seat. I mean, they really just truly make it so simple. It's a streamlined process. They do all the work. So, you're going to get the best tickets to any event. Like I said, it does not have to be South Carolina sporting events. Hell, if there's a damn, I don't know, whatever a fan of team you are, you listen to this, you can use this promo code. You're going to save 20 bucks. Take that $20. Hey, you can buy beer now at Founders Park. If you're going to the games this weekend, go buy, buy you a beer. Buy you a beer or two. Enjoy you some baseball. So, again, that's our friends at SeatGeek. Go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP, that's S-P-R-S-U-P, to save $20 off your first purchase. All right, enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks outfielder Adam Matthews. All right, join me today on the Spurs Up show, man that played for Gamecocks baseball. 2009 to 2012, hit 274, 19 homers, 88 RBIs. But really all you have to say, Mr. Matthews, is two-time national champion. I uh, really appreciate you taking this time. Absolutely, man. Nice, came nice by to the be stew. here. Uh, 
really excited to have you on. It's funny, we were talking off air. Obviously, you're a guy that went to White Knoll. We crossed paths before me going to North Augusta. But let's talk more about first just sort of your path, your recruitment. Obviously, you were a guy that was a really high, highly rated prospect. Um, what was your recruitment like for you? And then when did it become evident South Carolina was going to be the choice? Uh, the process for me started early. I was uh, a guy that my biggest tool uh, was my speed. So it's it's pretty easy um, when you go to these showcases, I'm sure, as a recruiter, and you find someone that has speeds, the, one of the first things that stand out, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you do your 60-yard dash, you run in a straight line, and you know if someone's slow or fast or mm-hmm. kind of in, in between. So it started early. Uh, speed was big for me early on. I worked really hard on that. It actually came involved from an injury I had my freshman year in high school. Um, which kind of helped me put a lot of emphasis on getting back up to where I needed to be from just an athletic perspective and getting back on the field. So that's kind of what sparked a lot of training for me from a, I had a trainer and everything from a, a, over at athletes arena over in Irma. I I give them those guys a lot of credit of, of how they, what they did with me to get me back up on the field and get my speed where it was and kind of what sparked the whole recruiting process. So, Early on, I you know there was some interest amongst some of the smaller schools, the Division Two, II, Division Three, or smaller Division One schools across mm-hmm. the state, and um, went to a couple showcases, and that's kind of when South Carolina fell into the mix, and kind of that process started probably about my sophomore year in high school. How much did you go into college with a chip on your shoulder? Because I feel like you were probably labeled as like just a guy again, like you're saying, like speed was your thing. But I mean, how much, because I mean, obviously you hit well. I mean, 274 is a very solid collegiate average, 19 bombs. I mean, how much did you carry a big chip on your shoulder when you went to college? Like wanting to prove that, you know, I can hit, I can do, I'm more than just fast. Yeah. And that's, that was kind of, there was a lot of factors there that kind of played into my career at South Carolina. Of course, when I got to South Carolina, people knew my name because I was a local guy. Mm. And of course, as now I am flipping the switch to being a fan, being someone local gains a lot of interest. I mean, talk about Jordan Birch, right? right. I mean, everyone oh, yeah. locally knows, oh, well, we need to get Jordan Birch. Of course, he's a nationally ranked guy, but he's local. Mm. And that carries a lot of weight from your South Carolina fans. So coming in, there was a lot of pressure on myself, not in a bad way, but I wanted to do well. I wanted to show, of course, I can make a difference on the base path with speed, but uh, you can, you know, one of the funny things I think Tanner used to always say is you can't get to first, you can't steal first base, right? Right. So how are you going to get on first base? So you got to be able to come in, you got to be able to hit and not just hit, but be disciplined um, at the Mm -hmm. plate because you can't just sit up there and wait for a perfect pitch to hit if you're not a good hitter. And, you know, it's, there's a lot of other things that um, you need to be good at, you know, especially going into the outfield, of course, coming in, uh, competing against Jackie Bradley Jr., um, that was real humbling to me because he mm. was so good at reading balls off the bat. Right. Where my speed would kind of uh, – I wasn't as good as doing that, but I, I could I could make up for that from a speed standpoint. Right. So, um, you know, there's there's a lot of things that went on went on there. What what was your uh, your peak sixty? Like, what was the best sixty? You ever I was ran? a six three guy. Six three. Yeah, six three guy. And it's funny because again, we were talking uh, before we went on air just about you know our playing days in high school, and uh, I don't know if you remember this, but it was two thousand eight. We were playing the playoffs, and again, I don't know if you remember the specific play, but it was I was on the bench, whatever. We were up to hit, we were up batting, and we one of our guys hit a line drive to left center, and you're thinking it's one of those balls off the bat. You're thinking automatic double, maybe triple, and I mean you literally glide over and catch it. And we're just like, oh, my God. Like, you, I don't know if you remember that or not, but that was – I remember for me, 
mean, I literally, I still tell that story every now and then to this day on the show and like tell people, I was like, you're probably the fastest guy I've ever seen on a baseball field. Yeah. And I, you know, it's, so. it's funny because it was, uh, there's things that in my career that just came natural, mm. you know, I mean, of course I, I took pride in being fast. I took pride in using that to the best of my ability. And that's kind of the funny thing is when I got to South Carolina, I used speed to make up for what I was not good at, right. which kind of gave me an advantage <laughs> there. But there was things, uh, for instance, reading balls off the bat, I was not good at. Mm. But my speed overcame those where someone like Jackie Bradley, of course he was fast, but his his reads off a of bat, I mean, mm. gosh, I mean, the guy speaks for itself, right? I mean, you could watch top ten plays in the last yeah, I mean, few years. Jackie's arguably the best across. defensive short yeah. center fielder in the big leagues, yeah. And his, his jumps are unbelievable. I mean, yeah. he's, an, he's an unbelievable defensive outfielder. Um, and I learned a lot from him, you know, mm. uh, just throughout the years of how to read balls um, where I was just like, I can run in a straight line fast. But as far as making up uh, those differences, I mean, I, there was a lot I had to do when I got to South Carolina. For sure. So you already talked a little bit about Ray Tanner. Just talk about, I mean, everybody has a different experience. What, what's it like being a player under Ray Tanner in your experience? Yeah, no, my experience with Ray Tanner, for one, he's – He's unbelievable. I mean, he's, of course, a baseball legend in college baseball and someone that everyone wants to play for. Of course, you have those big names across the country that people uh, would love to get the opportunity to play for, and I was lucky enough to do so. And, and coming into South Carolina as a guy, A, that's local, but there are definitely – I had my weaknesses, and so he wanted to really challenge me to, in those areas, and he did a great job at doing that. But, of course, being a young – let's call it kid at the time, that's a lot of – there's a lot of you, – you go from high school and being, let's say, one of the top players to a, to a college program where you're one of a dozen or one of 30 guys that can really make a tremendous impact. So right. coming in and under Ray Tanner and having him really work with me um, and push me really made me the player that I turned out to be. And, of course, I think there was a lot more – um, that I could have done once I got into pro ball. And, of course, my career kind of came up short, um, probably more around some injuries. But I give him a ton of credit. And I'm so thankful I had the opportunity to play for him. For sure. So, I do want to ask you this. You're one of the guys that you – know, it's really interesting. Obviously, uh, coming up, you know, for both of us in high school, Sarge Fry was like the mecca, oh, yeah. if you will. And then, obviously, you come to South Carolina and your first games at Founders Park, the new, you know, Carolina Stadium. Right. I mean, just talk about how awesome that was. I mean, he's a true freshman. You got Darius Rucker seeing the national anthem. It had to be just like a wild experience. It's unbelievable. I mean, I have a, I still to this day have a baseball uh, that I had signed by Kit Balknight. And, you know, those guys that were on those teams back then, I was the kid that was on the other side of the fence, right? Mm -hmm. Screaming names, or I was the little boy trying to get all autographs. And, um, you know, I'm sure Kip will laugh if he sees this and I, and I say that. But uh, it, it's it, when you, when you flip the script and, and you grow up around, you know, somewhere like Sarge Fry and how much it means to a, to a program and how much – how many talented players came through that field. And me watching that as a little kid, it, it was a dream, right? It was a dream come true, come here. Um, I'll never forget, you know, being in the locker room at Sarge Fry, day one of practice, and I was like uh, – I just trying to gather all my thoughts and I got to go out there and still compete. So the opening day comes along, Founders Park, um, Darius Rucker. I mean, there's so much energy in the stadium because it's a new stadium. We got a new team. Uh, Darius Rucker's performing right. in the national anthem. There's a lot of excitement around the program at that point. And um, uh, you know, I got I was in that. I got to get in that game. And actually, my first at bat was a walk. Thank God, because I was so <laughs> nervous. But 
just unbelievable. I mean, there's some, those things are sometimes I take for granted, but it's nice to kind of yeah. reflect on, on those. You, you had to have more friends and family in the crowd than you could count at that. Oh, I'd, I'd imagine. And I always did, you know, <laughs> just being, being local, of yeah, course, yeah. I mean, just my immediate family, I'm the, I'm the middle brother. So two brothers and their families. And I had a little nephew, uh, which funny story behind that. I'm sure we'll get to in a little bit, but, uh, mom, dad, I mean, there's always a big crowd of people in the stands mm -hmm. and the good thing behind that is I had a big support system. No right. matter if I went over four and people are yelling at me to take myself <laughs> out of the game or I went four for four, right? I mean, uh, there's always that support group, which is nice. Yeah, I want, I want to move ahead because like we said before the show, there's just so much we can talk about. And obviously, we have to get into 2010, 2011. I mean, obviously, again, when somebody addresses you, it's – I asked uh, somebody else this. When somebody addresses you, it's not just Adam Matthews. It's two-time national champion Adam Matthews, which I know has to be a good feeling. But 2009 had a really rough end to it. Obviously, you guys, you, you guys go to that uh, regional in Greenville, and that was just a heartbreaker. I mean, everybody I've talked to just talked about that one was just a gut punch, uh, losing on the walk-off. But come back in 2010, you know, gets off to a rocky start. When did you know, I guess, when did it click for you that you thought that 2010 could be a special year that it turned out to be? I think in, in any any sporting team where you're successful, A, I think it obviously has to do with talent. There's a lot of things on the field. Everyone can see that mm. on paper. You can say, hey, these guys are going to be good or, hey, these guys are going to compete. Um, they play well together. But I think it goes deeper than that. Uh, when you get into fall and people start getting on campus mm. and y'all form the bond, that's one thing that you'll hear everyone say now, and it's so true, but 2010, 2011, 2012, we had such a tight-knit group on and off the field. And the group that we had and the bond that we had off the field really carried into how we play. Mm. You know, there was no, man, I hope we win today. You know, it's right. not, it's, it's, it wasn't that thought process. <clears throat> I mean, we went into every game just, hey, let's go have fun. And we'll, if we have fun, we're going to do what we need to do to succeed. And um, off the field, I mean, we all hung out together. We all uh, would meet up and have dinner together, have lunch together. I mean, it was such a just a, a close-knit family and something that all of us take a lot of pride into. For sure. So I, I want to talk to you about the Carolina Clemson baseball rivalry because you can't talk about that 2010 season without the games in Omaha. You guys beat them twice. I mean, especially after losing two of three in the regular season, it had to be so sweet to beat them twice. But just for you especially, growing up a South Carolina fan, you know, being a local kid, like that rivalry had to just mean everything. 100%. And to this day, I mean, of course, uh, there's, there's things of, amongst my career personally that I could have done a lot better at. Mm. Um, you know, I could have used my speed better. I could have hit for a better average. And, and I think I was still trying to find myself as a player where I could use my power, where I could use my speed, how, where was my consistency at and what I needed to focus on. And one thing I always reflect back on is Clemson and I always had, for whatever reason, thankfully, a good, a good <laughs> career against Clemson. And being local and knowing how much that rivalry meant to the South Carolina fan base and how much it meant to me and being able to play in that intense environment uh, was just always a really fun time. And it was, you know, it was, it was awesome. Um, a lot of career highlights for me, especially winning uh, the MVP of the series with Richard Schaefer um, mm -hmm. for Clemson. I mean, those things really meant a lot. And you know, right. I still have those plaques in my office and all now. Awesome. So I do want to talk about again, that 2010 year, you guys take on UCLA with the arms of Garrett Cole, Trevor Bauer. I mean, just a bunch of yeah, studs. And yeah. you guys win two games, obviously, with the walk-off. I mean, just 
again, a local kid, a South Carolina fan. Obviously, Omaha is the ultimate goal, so I can only imagine the rush of emotions when you guys take down Coastal and you know you're actually going to Omaha, but then winning the whole thing. I mean, is there even any way to to describe that that feeling? No, is <laughs> uh, the short answer. It's such a whirlwind. I mean, there's a like you said, there's a lot of things that led up to that. Beating Coastal, going down to Myrtle Beach, mm-hmm. and and playing in what we would all say the hottest baseball game of our life. I mean, we were drenched in sweat, winning that game and literally running onto the beach and jumping in the ocean mm. um, and then packing up. And, of course, none of us had been to Omaha. So it was just like, all right, well, let's just go figure it out. And what do we need? We need a videotape and just, just to just videotape our experience mm. to getting out there and losing game one. And then our backs are, you know, against the wall. And it's like, all right, guys, we got to, you know, we got to play every day to, to survive. And, we probably didn't dwell on that um, like some people would. And that was the good thing about that team is we had such a, a close bond. It's like, Hey, let's go out and have fun again. As long as we have fun, we're going to do what's in, what we need to do to win and uh, getting to the UCLA series and beating guys that are now what, who you watch on TV. Right. Gear, I mean, gosh, the contract yeah, Garrett Garrett Cole just signed and <laughs> it's crazy. Trevor Bowers. I mean, it's, it's uh, it's, it was unbelievable. And, and we just had such a strong team. Um, from a bond perspective, again, you look at them on paper, you see how talented they were. And, of course, they were rightfully in that position against us. Um, it's you know We're very thankful that we yeah. were able to beat those guys. I know every player kind of approaches it differently, but I thought it was really interesting when I talked to uh, your former teammate, Adrian Morales, a couple months back. And he, he talked about the difference between that 2010 and 2011 season where – 2010 was cool because, you know, <clears throat> it was the first time you guys had ever done it before, obviously. But 2011 was a lot more like, all right, this is business. Like, we know what we're going to get. Like, you know, it was one of those that, – that, that quiet swagger that, I mean, you have to have as a baseball player, but even more so amplified for you guys being the reigning national champions. I mean, you, you look at the record. You guys just ran through and, I mean, won the SEC. I mean, just talk about that 2011 season, I guess. Like, how much different was the mentality for you personally and then just as the team as a whole? Yeah, I think 2010, of course, it was us having the family bond and having the ability to go out and play together and compete and having that bond that we knew if we played and have fun and played well, of course, we're going to win the game. I mean, simple as that. 2011, we had, a, we had a swagger about us. I mean, people came in hoping they could beat us, not thinking they could beat us, and, mm-hmm. and we just kind of ran with that. Yeah. And we still essentially had the same foundation that we had in 2010. So when 2011 came on – came along we just picked up where we left off and hit the ground running um and of course that bond continued right I keep I keep referring back to that but it was such a close-knit family of a group of guys that we just went out there every day and and played the game that we all loved and the game that we grew up playing so you mold those together over the course of a couple of seasons and people came into South Carolina such an such an environment that mm-hmm. a lot of teams didn't want to didn't do well in you know especially your smaller schools and early in the season they came in and we have however many thousands of fans screaming and, and wanting us to to play well and, right. and how competitive that we were over the last um, you know last season or two I mean of course 2009 kind of is what I think started all of this so. Right. 2011, I mean, just – it was unbelievable. I mean, it was just unbelievable. Yeah, you talk about 10, 11, and 12, and obviously it brings up the uh, the postseason, you know, how many consecutive games winning streak. I mean, there's no way that's ever touched, right? I, I can't – there's, there's just <laughs> uh, yeah. no way that's ever touched. I, I can't imagine. So, I, I'll ask you again. I mean, 2011, you guys 
really run through it. I, I'll, we'll start first with the Florida series, the, the you know, the, the College World Series final. Have you ever played in a crazier game than that game Gosh, one? No. And, and again, <laughs> I think it goes, what I was saying earlier about it was such a – it all runs together and it was such a mix of emotions. And I had that conversation on the other day with some people about the seasons and those those postseason Omaha wins. Mm. And it's so – I don't want to say routine, but I mean you got to wake up. Mm-hmm. Baseball players are so superstitious, yeah, right, right? right? So it's like you're right, a routine, I want to yeah. wake up at this time. I want to take a shower at this time. Mm-hmm. Let's eat lunch. Let's eat this for lunch. It's right. like, you know, gosh, I mean, how many times can you eat Subway <laughs> in a row, right? I mean, it's yeah. things like that. But just uh, it's it was so much fun, and and that that Florida game itself was um, like you said, a lot of ups and downs. I'm yeah. sure a lot of people lost some years off their life by watching <laughs> us. That, what did they say, the cardiac, cardiac yeah. or whatever back then. So, uh, man, unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah, I was going to say, one of the, my favorite stories from that I heard somebody tell is that they said Steven Garcia was at that game, and apparently he – I don't know if he told me this or somebody else. They said Garcia, though, was back at the hotel when Florida got back, and he was like, guys, I saw the look on their face. This thing's over, man. They're done. They're done. And, I mean, obviously the next night you guys go out there and get the W pretty easily. But, uh uh, you know, comparing the two again, the seasons were so much different in 10 and 11, but I mean, what it takes, you know, I think everybody really just takes it for granted, which I think is evident when we talk about that 2012 season, which I'm going to get to in just a second, but everybody takes for granted how tough it is to basically, I mean, it felt like you guys went wire to wire, felt like you were the, the, the favorite the entire year, felt like you're the number one team, just in my mind, but you know, you take for granted just how tough it is what you guys did, how impressive it is to go through and win the College World Series. Even just getting to Omaha is extremely hard. But winning it again, I mean, I know it didn't have the same feeling as 10, but just talk about in 2011, you get it. You close out Rosenblatt, open up TD Ameritrade, I mean, that had to be pretty cool. I mean, something that all of us can say that nobody right. else can say. Right? Nobody I can mean, ever do it, yeah. Uh, Rosenblatt has such a history, such a rich history behind it and so many – players that are Hall of Famers at this point, um, you know, are on the verge of going that route, have played in Rosenblatt. So going over and going into to TD Ameritrade and, and winning it back-to-back and something that we can always say that we're the team to do that, there's only one team that can say that. And, right. you know, of course, that's us. So uh, it's, it's something that we're all going to be able to have families, tell our kids or tell their grandkids. And, and that's that just means so much to not only us as players, but – this fan base and and the people who really followed us and thank gosh, you know, some, some fans that just went through the hard times of baseball and even football as being South Carolina fans and just waited until up until that moment and those times and those years to, uh, to live those with us. For sure. So it's funny, man, that, that 12 season, you know, I have sort of a bone to pick with fans for that. Cause it's funny, like you go on YouTube and you see all the highlights from 10, 11, that 12 teams like just completely forgotten. Yeah, like completely. Yeah. You don't see any highlights, and I'm like, for any other program in the country, like that's like probably the best season in their history. And for us, it's like the forgotten year because yeah. we didn't win at all. I mean, does it does it piss you off at all? Like twelve is just completely like because it's weird. It's like it's washed away. It's like nobody even remembers that twelve happened. I'm like, dude, we went to the national title. Again. <laughs> yeah, like, you realize that, yeah, right? It's, like, it's no. I mean, I think the good, the good thing as being. Uh, an athlete and playing at a school at a, at a high level is that's the expectation. Right. And I mean, look at today, right? I mean, you have guys that Holbrook and Kingston and these coaches that come in, that's the expectation of South Carolina baseball. Right. That's extremely challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, like you mentioned, not 
not only is it hard to get to Omaha, it's hard to be the one of the final two teams, and yeah. it's even harder to win the thing. Yeah. So 2012, of course, we went back, lost to Arizona, which, by the way, was a, such a good team. I played yeah. with a handful of those guys in pro ball, and um, they were so talented, um, yeah. you know, and, and, and really, really good team. But, yeah, 2012 was – it was a good year for me personally because that was that was the year I played completely healthy after mm-hmm. my 2000 in 2009 or excuse me 2011 injury mm-hmm. um, hamstring injury. So 2012 was almost kind of a comeback year personally for myself, and of right. course I was able to kind of ride the ride the wave, and we got back to Omaha, and, and of course it was just um, a, it was great for being a South Carolina fan, being a South Carolina player, because yeah. you have that third time going back to Omaha. That's kind of going back to what I was saying earlier about my nephew. He, for the first three years of his life, he was in Omaha. <laughs> you know, he wasn't even a year old, and he's sitting in the stands in Omaha to the point his fourth year of his life, he said, when are we going to Omaha? And that's when I was, you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I had I graduated and I was yeah. playing pro ball. He's like, I'm not going to Omaha. <laughs> so, uh, just, I mean, you know, those type of things, even as our family thing, you will never yeah, I, I want to go back to the injury really quickly yeah. because you bring up a good point. I mean, you're a guy that overcame a lot of adversity, like you said, and then 2012 really balled out kind of your bounce back year. But, I mean, it's it's tough dealing with injuries no matter who you are. But how tough is it being a speed guy when you have, like, a hamstring issue? or and you, you see it in football and other sports as well. But, I mean, I, I just can't imagine, like, that is your bread and butter and, like, that's the one thing you – you can't really do. And I mean, I guess what, it's one of those things that can just come up at any point too. Well, like it's it just, one of those things that it's, of course, like you said, my biggest tool was my speed. So right. you take away that, um, not to mention, I mean, to add even more to the pile here is to the, you know, my junior year, let's, let's face it. That's, that's your money year in baseball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? If you're going to go yep. to the, to the major leagues and have some form of um, signing bonus, your junior years when that happens. Right. A perfect example, Jackie. Right. I mean, you right. go to your senior year. There's you don't have any negotiating power. Yeah, no it's like, leverage. Hey, here's here's a thousand bucks. Take it or leave. Yeah. And yeah, um, being in that was in my junior year. Of course, that was internally was not cool. You know, there was a lot of adversity that was faced there. But tearing a hamstring and having to go through the season. I think I missed 37 games or something like that. <laughs> but there was gosh, 10 times in that in that mix that I would try to come back. So right. stay off of it, let it heal, mm-hmm. do your exercises, but you never would truly feel it until you went out on right. the field and you go to field a ground ball or plant or twist or and it's like you almost fall over, right? right? So, I mean, even to this day, I still feel that exact injury. Really? Um, and it's been, gosh, nine years ago. So, <laughs> uh, wow. I mean, it's it's it was very humbling. Um, really forced me to sit back and, and – take a minute to reflect on where I was at and what I could do to help the team. And of course, be a, be a cheerleader at that point on the sidelines and help cheer the guys on while I tried to get back on the field. So For sure. So that 2012 series against Arizona, I do want to talk about it for just a second. Cause you mentioned some of the great players they had. I mean, the one that jumps off, you know, jumps up immediately to me is Rob Ref Snyder. He mm-hmm. was an absolute beast, but I forget who said it. Maybe it was Walker. It was somebody I was talking to. But the perspective on that series was, was kind of funny because, you know, obviously the back-to-back national titles. And I don't know if you saw this article, but I think D1 Baseball put it out. I don't think they meant to say it the way they did, but they almost insinuated that it was luck. It was a lucky run, whatever. I just, you know, the ball – every great team, I argue, you know, it's a mix of you're a great team and the ball has to bounce your way at some point. It's just – it has to happen. But – it was funny the way the perspective it was put to me for the Arizona series. Like this must be how Florida felt. Like it seemed like yeah. everything went Arizona's way and it just was not meant to be for whatever reason. I mean, 
you know, that being your last college game after, you know, you've had such a great career, but it did it take any of the sting away from how much that one, that one was tough to swallow. Yeah. I'm of course, again, the expectation playing at South Carolina as Omaha, Mm. um, you know, of course you can kind of go and say, you know, let's make it to the postseason. But as a player at the player, you want to be on the last one standing as a competitor, regardless of sport. I mean, of course your football team is not coming out here every day saying, ah, we hope we win today. (laughs) Right. I mean, they want to be, yeah. yeah, I mean, they want to be on the, on the podium at the end of the, at the end of the year. And, uh, yeah, 2012, I think, you know, I have a picture that hangs in my office of Michael Roth and I kind of embracing it at the end of that game just because mm-hmm. that was our final game. Right. We were seniors. There was no more. And that's kind of probably the sting that it left between someone like the two of us because that was the end of the road at our college career. And we were at such a high point the last two years. But right. 2012 ends with a loss, which, you know, a loss being that we were the number two team in the whole right, country. Right. Uh, yeah, that's that's – it's hard to swallow, but at the same time, what we accomplished kind of overruled that once you sit back and think about it. Right. Well, obviously, as all this is going on, 2012, you're taking the 29th round of the MLB draft by the Cincinnati Reds. I mean, just just kind of talk about, again, <clears throat> you didn't, I guess, get to go necessarily as a junior and have that leverage. But, I mean, just just talk about as someone that playing the game, that's obviously your dream since you're a little kid, just what that meant to you. It meant a ton. I think it, it was kind of uh, – let's call it icing on the cake, right? I mean, mm-hmm. my, my whole life, of course, you dream of playing Major League Baseball. Mm-hmm. And I had the opportunity. I got drafted by Cleveland in high school, out of high school. And at that point, my dream was to play at South Carolina. Yeah. And thank, obviously, that turned out to be a pretty good, <laughs> a good choice. Yeah. yeah. So, it got things that you – know, <clears throat> memories and rings and things that I'll be able to talk about for the rest of my <laughs> life. And, Going through my career, 2009, 2010, 2011, of course, there's a lot of a lot of things in there, like the national championships that, that you have to talk about and things that you have to hang your hat on. Um, for me, <clears throat> 2009, coming in as a local guy and competing against someone like Jackie Bradley Jr. and having that uphill battle, 2010, uh, kind of was an up and down year for me statistically. Mm. But, of course, we won the national championship. So, for me, that outweighs that. 2011, my quote-unquote draft year, and I still, in my mind, hadn't done a lot of things um, statistically to help myself other than my tools. Mm. Then you tear your hamstring. And it's like, crap, we're back on the drawing board here. So, <laughs> 2011, of course, we win the national championship. So, back pick me up. 2012, mm. I'll play healthy, get back <laughs> to the national championship. Right. You know, There's so many things there that kind of were pick-me-ups and, and – uh, even though I was drafted my junior year, I wanted to come back and play healthy. And that's one thing that I did in 2012. So once I came back, got drafted by Cincinnati, it was like, wow, you know, this is finally all beginning to click. I'm mm. just beginning to finally find my place again and, and have a opportunity to continue my career where I can continue to work on the things, the weaknesses that I have had these last four mm. years. So that's kind of, I mean, that's kind of what I felt when I got drafted by Cincinnati. Of course, that went on to, to be a really good time and a really good opportunity for me. And, and man, it just taught me so many life lessons. Mm-hmm. Professional baseball is a whole different ballgame. Right. I, I do want to talk about that. I want to ask yeah. you, though, because it's funny. I know they just recently changed the uh, the way the MLB draft is set up, which, thank God, way overdue. But it's kind of funny. Like, when you'd be watching as a fan, you'd be watching these Super Regionals. It's like, oh, by the way, so-and-so just got drafted and he has no idea. When did you – was it during a game? Was it practice? Like, when did you find out? Because, I mean, again, I, some guys are lucky enough to where it's like you're not playing in a game. But I, 
I think a lot of college baseball fans used to think that was like the stupidest thing ever where it's like you literally have guys in the middle of games like how are you supposed to focus on your next at bat when you just have like the biggest phone call of your entire life come through yeah it's crazy absolutely especially let's say you're let's say you're a first rounder yeah 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 Yeah, so let's say you're a first rounder in your junior year and you're sitting out there pitching or at bat or something (laughs) I mean yeah you just have life-changing news right um I think for myself, it was a little different. I mean, I literally was feeling a ground ball in, in right field when I got the – when they just yelled out, hey, Adam, you just got drafted. And I was like, oh, yeah, cool, whatever. And, and because I think at that point, it's not it's not about money, right? Right, I, mean, right. I signed for a 1000 bucks, So, it's about just, you know, moving on with your career. Right. So, it's about, hey, you know, great, I got drafted. That just gives me the – I mean, of course, it was, it's a great feeling. But mm-hmm. uh, at that point, our focus was getting to Omaha. We were practicing to go to Omaha. So <laughs> – uh, it's a great feeling, but at the time being a senior, it's a little bit different because it's kind of like, thank gosh, someone just picked me up and gave me another chance. Mm. Junior, I agree with you. I definitely think that um, you know, you, if you're a first rounder and you're having a life changing right. a opportunity and, and moment, that'd be nice to be with your family yeah. or whatever you want to do. No, I think they finally fixed this. So that's yeah. the good news. But uh, no, so <clears throat> for you, I do want to talk about your minor league experience. I mean, everybody you talk to. For people that don't realize the the peanut butter and jellies, the long bus rides, like that is a real thing. Um, when you look back at your minor league career, again, I know you said it got cut short, obviously earlier than you yeah. wanted it to, and you dealt with injuries, stuff like that. But when you look back at it, what are your biggest takeaways from playing minor league ball? You know, it it it, it tells you just just like the whole entire sport of baseball, your whole entire career, whether you're playing little league in the end in high school, or you're playing high school again in college, or college and professional ball you face so many adversities, you face so many moments where it's just you. Mm-hmm. And then minor league really um, does that. No, I mean, it really exploits it and brings it up to, to a whole nother level. Mm-hmm. And being in 17 States in six months, bouncing around playing in fields that aren't even comparable <laughs> to high school fields in this right. state. You know, of course, you got North Augusta, White Knoll, mm. Lexington, River Bluff. Some of these mm. programs and these fields are so manicured. Mm. Um, yep. They're like playing at in a, in a, at a college field, and you go into professional ball, and you're somewhere in the middle of Montana, and <laughs> there's 14 <clears throat> fans in the stadium, right. and you better watch where you're running because you might break an ankle, <laughs> but you're getting paid to play professional ball. I mean, those right. are really – really real situations your peanut butter and jellies i mean uh it's not like hey man yeah go ahead and go ahead before me no it's it's kind of you're fighting to because right. if, if you don't get up there and get a peanut butter and jelly you don't eat <laughs> right, right you know and and um those are the people don't realize how real those are man right. you're you're riding on buses you're ending uh gosh ogden utah we had a double header that ended at midnight still have to take a bus from utah to montana and we have to be at the field at, you know, noon. Um, so you get back and you take a couple hour nap and you're back at two and all over again. I mean, that's 187 <laughs> games, six right. months, 17 states. I mean, it's very real. Right. So I, I know you're a guy that obviously moved on to kind of current day South Carolina baseball. You're obviously a guy still in the area, big Gamecock fan. Just when you take a look at this program, again, you were someone that was very familiar with Chad Holbrook, played under Chad Holbrook. He was an assistant coach on those teams and he took over. And now we're on the Mark Kingston era just – when you take a look at the program, I guess, as someone being a proud alumni, being part of two national title teams and three teams that went to the national title, I guess, what's your overall take on the the current state of Gamecock baseball? I'll ask if you had a chance to meet Mark Kingston or interact with him. Like, what's your overall take on just, like, the program right now? Yeah, I think we'll start by saying that Coach Kingston has been 
very vocal in the fact that he wants alumni to feel welcome yeah. coming back. You know, I think that's a, a lot of us, regardless of program, I think a lot of alumni just are like, <laughs> let me come back and just say, hey, you yeah. know, let me come back and walk through our memories. If you have kids, you want to bring them back to the stadium and say, hey, dad used to play here. Right. Uh, not to that point yet, but at some point I will. And, of mm-hmm. course, being a big uh, – being – on the two national championship teams, there's a lot of things that in, oh, yeah. the, in the stadium, pictures, trophies, et cetera, that you want to go back and see at times. So mm-hmm. he's been very vocal in saying that feel free to come back. So one, um, I speak on behalf of everyone by thanking him on mm-hmm. that. Two, no, I have not personally met him. That's my own fault. There's uh, been some opportunities to do so. Um, I'm in an industry that my schedule can be all over the place right. at times. So uh, I've not been had the not had the ability to do that just yet. Now, as far as the program itself, I mean, I think we're still, of course, getting back to where we need to be. But at the same time, I think our expectation as a fan base is so high. Mm, of yeah. course, we have to kind of take into consideration where we were in 2010, 2011, 2012, whether that is 10, 9, 8 years ago. It takes time to get there, yeah. you know. And and as long as we're being competitive and and being able to go out there and compete, let's let's say you know we're top twenty-five team in the country. There's twenty-five teams there. You yeah. know? We're talking yeah. how many hundreds of teams in the country. Yeah, uh, let's put that in perspective a little bit. Yeah, and you think how good the SEC is? I mean, it's funny. I mean, you talk about those those expectations. I mean, I agree with you, and it's great to you know it's great to be a fan of a program that has those expectations because it's you know I, I tell people for Carolina baseball it is the you know and it's no disrespect to any of the programs on campus but it's truly the program on campus in my mind that I'm like okay any year we can go win the championship because we've done it you know what I mean? we've just done it before but uh you know you have people asking you asking me all the time you know hey if we don't make the college world series this year we're we gonna fire the coach and I'm like you gotta be kidding yeah. me bro <laughs> like it's I like mean, saying hey if we, come on, win, if we don't if we're not competing for the national championship you know, right, football, so, like, like, like you said, uh, eight okay. teams, eight teams make it. So I mean, it's yeah. uh, no, I mean those expectations are a gift and a curse. But uh, obviously, I mean, we're sitting here four days away from opening day, and I know right. everybody's uh, truly excited. I know I am I'm very optimistic about this team. So I think there's a, uh, I think we're getting closer back to where we need to be. But I, I'll uh, close you out on this. Obviously, going to get you out of here. But when you take a look back, um, I know you played with a lot of legendary guys. You played for a legendary coach. Um, favorite story favorite memory like funniest story maybe there's a funny tanner story i feel like everybody's got a funny tanner story for whatever reason and if you i was gonna say if you say the uh marzilli already told us the uh head up i9 story about the tanner Jonah pack so that that one i feel like i have to tell everybody because he said apparently that's like the go-to is, is the one that uh tanner had but just overall favorite memory or favorite story or anything like that from those your playing days at carolina you know there's uh Trying to think of something I can actually say. <laughs> that's how most. Of, I think that's how most of them are. Yeah. Um. There's there's plenty. Um. <laughs> there's plenty, and yeah, you know, I think there's things that stand out. I mean, Michael and I, Michael Roth and I, were roommates uh, every year. So for yeah. five years, four years on being at, obviously in the program, we lived together our fifth year in pro ball. Once we came back in the off right. season. One thing that always stood out to me, of course, I knew Michael on a different level than your fan, your mm, your, right. your typical South Carolina fan. We lived together. Um, you woke up, breakfast, lunch, dinner, whatever. Right. Michael was just such a go-with-the-flow type guy. And I'll never forget 2010, of course, the big uh, the big game that he pitched against Clemson National mm. Championship. We're getting us to the national championship. And Coach Calvi comes in the room. They're doing room checks the night before. And – 
he's coming in. He's like, hey, Michael, by the way, you're, you're pitching tomorrow. He's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And he's watching something on TV. He's like, sure, whatever, I don't care. You know, whatever. Those things like that, just the minimal. And there's not a ton that's humorous behind that, but it's just the way that our team <clears throat> went about every day. And you have someone like Michael who's about to pitch what would be the biggest game of his life. And, you know, of course, from then, you know, the Michael Roth legend is born. All right. But he's just like, yeah, sure, whatever, cool, <laughs> uh, yeah, whatever. I'm glad y'all thought really hard on that. Y'all gonna let me let me pitch. So that I mean, and, and the thing about it is, people real don't people forget that Michael was an All American hitter, right, in yeah. high school. And now when we got to Carolina, and he was like kind of transitioning over into being a pitcher because he was a first baseman, right? Yeah, yeah, he yeah when first. he was when he was transitioning over to being a pitcher. He was just mad he couldn't hit. He's right. like, I want to hit. I want to hit. I want to hit. <laughs> and, of course, it worked out well for him that he that he ended up being the pitcher that he was. So, it's just kind of funny that Coach Calvi comes in, hey, Michael, you're going to pitch more. Oh, yeah, cool, whatever. <laughs> how <laughs> how surprised – were you surprised at all? Like, how, how kind of, like, it evolved so quickly? I mean, he went from literally a lefty specialist, one-inning guy to 2011, he's, like, the best pitcher in college baseball. Basically. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, it's going around – town right. going to dinner and it was like you know there's there's people that just kind of walk by you and then next thing you know uh hey michael Roll, hey michael Roll. next thing you know we're taking <laughs> pictures and say we he's taking pictures with 10 people at a right. restaurant i mean those are the little things right, and that's right. what's great about being in an environment and in a community that means that baseball means so much or south carolina athletics means so much to, i mean that's you're you're really look looked up to amongst mm. a bunch of your kids that are in this area and um fans on Monk. So uh man, just just such a great time. Just such an honor that I was to be able to part of those teams and make the friendships that I did. And of course, I still stay in touch with all those guys. Michael texted me last night actually. So I still stay in touch with those guys all the time. And it's uh I mean it's something I'll always be able to say. JBJ the best outfitter you ever seen? JBJ is the best outfitter yeah. I've ever seen. I, I figured you'd say that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Well, Adam, really do appreciate it. I mean, I know I speak for all Gamecock fans, and I say it was – I mean, obviously watching you guys was a blast. Um, don't forget about the 2012 team fans. They were great too, but uh, really appreciate it. Man. Appreciate Thank you so absolutely. much for taking the time. So he's Adam Matthews. I'm Chris Phillips. Appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll catch you next time. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.